0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Choir, thanks Becky for leading them. It's good to see you this morning. You guys awake? I got quoted that this week. Did you see it on Facebook? Okay. If you don't do anything wrong, you don't get caught on Facebook. So here's, here's the way it worked. Is, um, I was cruising through the house, and Deb was doing something, and I don't know if she asked me a question or I made a statement or whatever, but I said, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it hit me. That's a phrase. That's a that's a catchphrase for something. Anybody know what it is? Kool Aid Man. Yeah. Because you say, oh yeah, and he can you know busting through the wall. So fortunately, the um, the townhouse we're staying in is still intact. That we have no repair to do, none of that kind of stuff. But just when when I heard that, it was just like oh, just start looking around for Kool Aid Man to come in. So it is it is good to see you. Um we are in the, um, in the middle of summer stuff, right? And um, the temperature is is, who knows what it is? It Could be different tomorrow. We could be in fall tomorrow. We could be, I, I don't know, but it's it's just different.'ve I've heard that if you wait a couple hours, it'll change, so it's all good. But we're in the middle of this summer series called Psalms. Um, blessed. Because when we read the Psalms, we understand a couple of things. We understand where trust is placed. And the song that the choir just did, that name, when we place our faith and our trust in, in Jesus, we, say, we talk about the name, but the name is about a person that we place our trust in. And when we place our trust in him, it is secure. There is no other name by, under heaven by which men must be saved. That's the name, that's the person. And what he did on the cross for us, nobody else can do. Nobody else can fulfill that role. He did it 2,000 years ago for us. And so it's a, it's a great song. It's a reminder of who Jesus is. And when we look at Psalms, we understand that there was a struggle in a lot of the Psalms in how to deal with life. And when we look at life through the lens of Jesus Christ and his love for us, we gain a different perspective. And so we're going to look at Psalm 73 this morning. It's another one of those psalms or songs of lament. It's an introspective, kind of a a peering into the soul of the writer of this psalm as he reveals not only his, his perspective as he looks at the culture around him, but it also gives us an idea of how he deals with that. Because whether we like it or not, We we live in a culture and we go throughout our days and we look at everything around us and we still have feelings and have to deal with those feelings about what is going on. Because there's some things we don't like. There's some things that we would say, that is really good, and then there are other things we go, that is really bad. And if our culture continues to do that, this is not going to be a good precedent or a a good path to follow. It's not going to be a fun journey. Especially for those that are in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this. I want you to get this. We're going to find out how to guard your heart for the right things. How do I guard my heart for the right things? In other words, how do I begin an understanding of how I should love others? So we're going to look at how to guard your heart with all the stuff that's going on around us. And Asaph, who's the writer of Psalm 73, is going to help us with that this morning. Because he is not one of those guys that that is like way, way up here going, I've got it all together, I've got it all figured out, and it's all good. When we read Psalm 73, we're going to find out that Asaph had some issues. And they were more internal issues than they were um, things about him that were external. He, He didn't go through this... I'm sinning on the outside and so things need to be corrected, what he was struggling with was something that he had to deal with on the inside that nobody else saw. And So we're going to look at that this morning. Would you stand as we, as we read a couple of verses out of Psalm 73 and we will get into this. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the first verse and then we're going to jump down to the very last part of this chapter. Psalm 73, verse 1, it says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Then we jump down to 27, and there's a reason. I'll tell you the reason in just a moment. Verse 27 says, For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of this writer who, like us, looked around his culture, didn't like what he saw. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to have an understanding of how we deal with what we see around us, and that we wouldn't go at it with a degree of shock, but we would go at it with the lens of God and an understanding of what really happens and what is really going on for eternity. And so, God, I pray that you'll help us this morning and teach us. God, we pray that Jesus would be seen in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 73, Asaph is this guy. He's a musician. He's, he's essentially a singer and a symbolist. Now, you know what a symbolist is, right? You know, the crashing cymbals. That's his job. He's a musician. And so like, like everybody that was up here, including choir, he was in, that, he was in this group that was up here. And so that's his job. His job was to look at the culture around him and in the middle of it, lead worship. How hard a job is that? If you look up here, and do you ever, you ever wonder what it's like to be up here looking out from the choir or, or leading praise? Do you ever wonder about that? Those of you that have done it, you know what it is because you, you stand up here and you may go, I'm trying to smile and I'm trying to sing, but they're looking not too swift this morning. Or they're not looking awake or, or whatever it is. There's no smiles and, and all that. And, and it's, sometimes it gets really hard, and that's inside the building of a church where at least a majority of folks say, we believe in Jesus and we want to praise Him and worship Him, but we forget to allow our face to know the joy that is in us. And so when you stand up here, you go, oh my. But if you were to take the world and bring the world in here, and we are just kind of move out of the way and let everybody from the community walk in here, those that don't know Christ, and then try to lead that same worship, how much more worrisome would that be? How much more depressing would that be? That's kind of where Asaph is. Because Asaph looks all around him and says, oh, this stinks. And so he's going to look at it, and we're going to understand a little bit because uh, he's going to help us to understand how we deal with our community. And so we, we need to define community first. Community is those we encounter daily. It's our marketplace. So it, at your job, when you go to your job, your community is for at least that section of time or the people that you work around. If you go to the grocery store, it's the folks that you run into that you're standing behind, of in, behind in line and in front of in line. It's the ones you pass in that aisle, hopefully in the right aisles so it doesn't show up on Facebook, okay? Those kind of things. Did y'all catch that? I got stuck in a wrong aisle once. It was just kind of one of those things like, don't take a picture. Please don't take a picture. But the line was all the way through the wine aisle. I'm thinking that's what I need. I need a church member to come by, take a picture of me next to all these bottles. That's perfect. That would go over real well. So it was a long line, it was like a Christmas line, okay? So that is the marketplace. It may be on the golf course. I was out there yesterday and and things kind of got backed up so a guy came up behind me and that became the marketplace, that became the community for that particular portion of time. So it's wherever you happen to go. So there's there's a, a multitude of places that we could call community but it's essentially those people that we're surrounded with on a daily basis. That's our community. And so the way we see our community directly affects our heart for loving others. So if we see them a certain way, we love them a certain way. If we see them a different way, we love them differently. If we see our community as taking advantage of everything that there is to take advantage of, and it's unfair, then we look at them and we say, I don't love you as much. But then we see somebody else, and and they bring in the cart from the edge of the parking lot back to the grocery store because somebody else has left it out there. And we look at them and regardless of their commitment or their affiliation with Christ, we look at them and we say, we like them. They're they're all right. We think that they're good folks. And so we look at them differently and how we see that community around us affects the way we love them. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at how to guard your heart for the right things. And so looking at this, we're going to figure out what was it that Asaph saw, but then how did he guard himself from not getting depressed by what he saw? There's, um, there was a story this week of a guy who received a World Series ring. He didn't play, but he got a World Series ring. His, his last name was Bartman. And whether you re- remember the story or not, in 2003, essentially, he caused an issue. And so this week, they gave him a World Series ring because the Chicago Cubs won the World Series this past year. They handed it; they were supposed to present him that ring. And so we, can we show that picture of that ring? There it is. It's got his name on it and everything. Pretty cool. Here's the story. Watch this video. There was a whole series of things that happened in that game and in the game that followed and, and them not winning the World Series and, and yet so much of that blame got placed on him. When we look at the world around us, we, we have a tendency to place blame and we look at that and we go, okay, he wasn't really the blame for that but what he did was it seemed that he took away something that the city was entitled to. And so they got mad at them. And we deal with that. Say, I'm entitled to this or I deserve this. And so we react in a certain way. And when we see people get things that we think they don't deserve, it messes with us on the inside. It disturbs us. It kind of churns us up. And that's exactly what happened to him. Now, they gave him the World Series ring, I think, in an effort to kind of make up for the 10-plus the years that they were just on his case. I, I saw some reports, and they were kind of encouraging him not to accept it. And so it's like, okay, the drama continues. But, but it's one of those things where you go, that poor guy. Now, I wouldn't want to be him, and all he did was try and catch a foul ball that seemed to be in reach. And he was blamed for something that the, the whole thing wasn't really his fault. Maybe that play, but not the rest of it. And so when we look at this passage, we're going to see a couple of things because what we're going to see is this blame thing that could take place and then how we should respond differently in that. So in verse 2 and 3, Asaph gives us an idea of what he struggles with. So verse 1 and 27 28 kind of gives us the bookends to this, to this song And it says, this is my conclusion. And so on the front end, he gives us a little bit of conclusion. Then he clarifies it in 27 and 28. So surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Then he says, but as for me, this is where you get to peer into Asaph. As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps almost slipped. You've been there. I don't know if you've been in that place where you're, you weren't sure about where you were stepping. I was I was out on the golf course several weeks ago and got out of the cart, didn't realize the cart path ended, the, the edge of it, and it dropped off. And it's like the dirt didn't match up. And so when I stepped, I stepped halfway on the cart path and halfway off the cart path. Well, you know what that does. You end up twisting your ankle. And so what it did is everything that happened from then on was predicated on the hurt that was in my foot. And so I walked up to the tee box, hobbled up to the tee box, tried to take a swing, and it just kind of hurt every time I did it. And so it affected the rest of the day. Well, if if Asaph is dealing with these, this, he says, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps almost slipped, I'm like at the edge, and I almost gave way and lost my footing. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So what is he struggling with? He's struggling with this, this inner jealousy and has this envy toward those that seem to have it all in place, yet we know that they don't follow God. So he's looking at them and saying, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Well, you know that life is not fair. It doesn't treat you fair. You go through and you go, well, that's not fair. You're right, it's not. There's nothing you can do about it. As we look at this, we have to understand if it's unfair for us to look on others through the lens of our own entitlement. If we think we deserve it and we look through that lens, then we are placing some blame on folks that don't deserve it. The second part of that is when we understand that concept and then we understand our life in response to God, it changes the way we look at those folks. And so that's what we're going to kind of look at this morning. So the first thing is there is a fixation on on inequality bruises your heart and taints your love for others. So when you look at stuff and you fixate on that, you concentrate on that, you peer at that, and you realize there's this inequality, then it will mess with your heart and how you can love them. Look at verse 4. It says, For there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. and Essentially, they they die quietly, but live in abundance. Then verse 5, it says, They are not in trouble as other men. They don't get caught when wrong, and they don't struggle. Life seems to be easy for them. Verse 6 Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. They're prideful. They don't care how they treat others. Verse 7, their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. What Asaph is saying is they're greedy and they pursue without regard for anybody else. So it's, a, it's a, almost like that corporate ladder thing. Whatever it takes, I will step on them to get where I want to be. And so verse 8 says they mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They look down on those that are not of their status. And then verse 9, they have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. They're careless about God. They could care less about God and His opinion. And they're dismissive of any boundaries and then verse, verse 10 says, Therefore his people return to, pla- to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They have it all. And they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the most high? So essentially they're saying, look what I get away with. Look at all this stuff I get away with. I, I can treat people poorly. I can... I can run, I can do whatever I want, I can chase after riches, I can do all those things. And God doesn't even seem to notice. God hasn't taken any action my way. So therefore, if I don't think there's a God, I can pursue life any, in any way I want to, in any direction that I want to. And Asaph is going, look at these folks, God. Do you not understand this? And we look around us and we'd see the same things. We say there's, there's a group of folks that have no care about what, of God whatsoever and seem to be prospering. And it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And then we get to verse, then we come down to verse 12. It says, Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. And then we turn to Asaph and we We get this another picture of the inside of him and what he deals with. So Asaph observed his culture, but then he starts looking at himself and says, this is how I feel about it. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Catch what he's saying? In essence, he's saying, I'm really tired of being good. Being good is getting me nowhere. I don't know if you've ever had that pop up in your mind. If I look at all this stuff around you, what good, what good does being good accomplish? And, and there's an inner part of us when we see the inequity around us where we struggle with that. I do. I look at somebody that, that is, is in a really big house and doing all this kind of stuff, and I know they're cheating. I know they're cheating on several different fronts, and yet God seems to be blessing their business, seems to be blessing their life. They have everything they want, and I've got to deal with that. And I kind of struggle on the inside to go, why, God, is that happening, and why do I feel like that? Because it doesn't seem to be right. And, and yet, I'm going, okay, I need to live a pure life. It's what God's called me to do. When I look at Scripture, I'm supposed to live according to this book. And yet, it seems as though I get punished because I'm not willing to cheat on something else. The shortest route to, promo- pro- the shortest route to promotion is not always the thing that is most godly. And so when we look at this, he, he's complaining about it. He says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence. God, my life is laid out before you and it seems to be okay, but I'm not blessed like they are. He says, for I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Essentially, he gets up on the wrong side of the bed every single day. Which is a terrible, terrible place to be. You look at that, why not complain? If it seems as if I'm being disciplined every single day for trying to follow you, why would I want to follow you? And so Asaph, as a worship leader, is struggling with this. Describes part of the reason that we're in the condition we're in as a a country is because we see the inequities. We look, and, and it doesn't seem to make sense to us, and it affects our heart. It says, if I had, I will speak thus. Behold, I should have betrayed the generation of thy children. And when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. So I just struggle with this, God. And, and what Asaph is saying is, even when I voice it, is it worth Questioning. Am I going to make any headway by voicing my complaint? So we get to verse 17, which is a turning point here. Verse 17 starts out with a word that changes the whole scope of Psalm 73. It says, until. Transition word there, until. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Essentially, when I walked into the sanctuary of God, everything changed. Because an encounter with God always changes us, doesn't it? When we come into God's presence, it changes us. Think about the encounters in Scripture that we read about. you got Jacob wrestled with God. And then you've got Moses before a burning bush. And take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And it changes Moses' life. To that point he had been a leader and he had fallen from grace he'd gone out into the desert and watched sheep and he has this encounter with God that changes him makes him a leader and then Daniel in a furnace Isaiah in the court of God in Isaiah chapter 6 where he stands before God and he says and just hears this roaring thunder and he comes before God and he says I am not worthy God sends him off as a missionary. Saul on the Damascus Road. One of those guys encountered Christ and it changed his life. I know where I was. I was in a a suburb of Atlanta in 1980 when I gave my life to Christ and the question for you is, where were you? When did you encounter God? When did he change your life? And I would say that you can't be born into it as a baby like you don't inherit it from your parents. We've talked about this before, is you don't get to be a Christian because your parents were. It is an individual decision based on that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings about sin and saying, I cannot, I cannot do this. I can't earn it. I can't get it on my own. I have to rely on the grace and mercy of God in my life. And so therefore, God, I accept your offer of forgiveness, and I want to give you my life. And so what, what we see in here is, is this whole idea of things changing in Asaph's life as he starts to look at this a little bit different. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. So Asaph doesn't look at, the, at what is in front of him so much as he takes a look at it and says, okay, I see what's in front of me, but if I go over here to the very end of the story, it looks very different. If I look at their life and their entitled life and their no-holds-bar life, but I look at it in the scope of what it looks like for eternity, it's completely different. So I entered the sanctuary. I had this encounter with God and I perceived their end. Surely thou dost set them in slippery places. You remember, we went, we go back to the very first part where he feels like his foot was going to slip. Thou dost set them in slippery places, thou dost cast them down to destruction. So, as good as it is now. As good as it seems to be for them, when I look at the end of the story, it changes. You ever been in a movie where you're sitting through and you anticipate a certain ending to take, to take place, and when you get there, the, the writer and, and director of the, the movie script, they change it completely around, and you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that ending. That was a, that was a plot twist that I didn't see. Well, that's kind of the way Asaph is looking at this. He going, when I look at everything around me, this is the ending I expect. But when I come into God's sanctuary and I encounter Him, it completely changed. So we can look at somebody's life who is doing all these things, who may be serving time in prison. Look at their life and say, we know what their end is. That's our perception, but when we look at it through the lens of God, say what is God going to do in their life to change things? What hope is there? And so Asaph writes this, he says, Surely thou hast set them in slippery places, cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment, they are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, thou wilt despise their form. Man, I'd rather be in Asaph's place seeking holiness and purity because I want to follow God and in His presence than it would be to gain the whole world and lose my soul. How many people give up their soul because they chase after things that are not of God? So Asaph is reminded of that. And then in verse 21, so we have his new observations and then we have his personal observations in verse 21. It says, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant and I was like a beast before you. Those words are convicting. Because what Asaph was dealing with with was this inner turmoil that says I look at everything that's around me and I don't like it. I see the entitlement. I see all these things that people don't deserve and I'm really jealous about it. But when I come into your presence and I encounter you and I look at that and I look at what you did for me, then it changes my perspective and I realize that I came to you in ignorance because I did not see what their end was. I didn't even take that into consideration all I took into consideration was the temporal those things that I could see with my physical eyes and so Asaph comes before God and he says I was embittered and pierced within convicted Then I was senseless and ignorant I was like a beast before you and then in verse 23 we see this thing that takes place it's a change um I've got, I've got a pair of sunglasses, and and I I got them the same time I got these. Y'all are really blurry without these. So so when I when I put these on, I can see. But if I wanted to go outside, up until I got these other glasses, I would put on regular sunglasses. Well, you know what that meant, right? I couldn't see. Oh, I wasn't as bright, but I still couldn't see. So I had to put on the the right the right sunglasses to go with the right regular glasses so I could see in both places. What Asaph is, is doing is, here is he's putting on a different set of lenses so that he can see the way God sees with the end in mind. When we look at things that are temporal and we don't take the end in mind with regards to our love for people, we miss out on God's view. And so Asaph is reminding us, See, compassion comes when we recognize God's constant presence. It is hard. Well, let me, let me switch this. It is easy to look at the temporal successes of the world around us when we don't consider God's presence and have bad feelings toward folks. But when we consider, God, you are with me, you are living in me, and you bring joy to my life, then when we look at those folks, regardless of their situation, whether it's really good or really bad, we say, God, I know that you love them just as much as you love me. So it changes the way we look at it. So it brings in that idea of compassion into our life as we look at their life. So this is what Asaph does. It's a connection with God in verse 23. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. Now, there's some, some interesting wording here. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. It's essentially, God, I want to recognize your presence all the time. There's a book by Brother Lawrence, and he says, uh, to, to be in God's presence regardless of what you're doing. It, it was what he devoted his life to. Psalm 34 says this, Psalm 34, 1 He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Man, what a psalm. What a song of praise. And so, if Asaph is up here leading music and he's looking out at the culture that has nothing, wants to do nothing with God. And he's trying to lead. How hard is it to stand here and look out and say, I'm trying to lead you to understand God, and they're not responding. It's hard to be in this spot. you want to love the way Jesus loved, the, the the switch has to be flipped on to his presence. It's got to stay there. So he recognized that. And the second part of this, you've taken hold of my right hand. You know, the right hand is that dominant hand. If you go to other cultures, there's there's things you do with your left hand, things you do with your right hand, and there are things that you don't do with either one of those. It it has to do with cleanliness and dominance and and all those kind of things. And And some of you that have been on the mission field understand that. And in this particular case, what he's saying is, I'm giving up my dominance and allowing you to take hold of it. In essence, I'm surrendering to your will, God. That's that's where I'm at. So thou hast taken hold of my right hand. That which would lead me, I've given it to you for you to lead me. And with thy counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. What he's saying is that I want to give up control of my life and trust you, I don't need to be in charge anymore. It's the same thing that, that Paul wrote in Philippians 3.8 when he said, More than that, I count all things to be in view of the surpassing value, loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. It's where Asaph is. It's where we need to be where Paul was and then if we if we were to flip over to Isaiah 58 basically it's God you are a guide to me so I need to trust you as a guide in my life so when I practice the presence of God I'm saying God be continually with me and as I take steps guide where those steps go guide where my mind goes guide where my heart goes guide where my feet go. And Father, as I do that and encounter the the culture that's around me, help me to have your mind so that I may see what you did for them in the love of Christ on the cross. It's kind of what we shoot for. And so if we were to say, okay, how do we guard our heart for the right things? There's, There's essentially three things that we need to do. Surrender to his leadership daily. Surrender to God daily. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed, say, God, I recognize your presence and I'm surrendered to you and whatever you want. Seek his counsel. The second thing is to stay motivated by the same things that motivate the Father. Stay motivated by the same things that motivate God. You are a witness to His grace in your life. The only reason that you receive mercy and grace is because God loved you enough to send His only begotten Son so that you could have eternal life. That motivated God. That ought to be our motivation. How can folks understand Jesus? We are vessels. Colossians 3 says this, it says, whatever you do, do do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So if we put that in the context of your community, your marketplace, those people that you're around, then you live out the presence of God in front of them. And say, I'm going to do everything I can to promote Jesus. If somebody says, do this in an hour, do it in 45 minutes. Work harder. If you sweep floors, the floor ought to be cleaner because you sweeped it than somebody who doesn't know Christ. It's a level at which you commit everything that you do to the Lord instead of for yourself or your gain. 2 Corinthians 4 says that we are vessels to shine his light. Earthen vessels. Fragile, but effective because it's what God does through us. So stay motivated by the things that motivate God. Then the third thing is to refresh often. To refresh often. Don't let errant observations bruise your heart and kill your witness. Don't let errant observations bruise your heart and kill your witness or dictate your future. So we refresh often. This morning I got up and um, Angela was out. I don't know if she made it in this morning. She wasn't feeling well. and um, She gets stuff ready back in the preschool area and has some sheets for check-in and all that kind of stuff for the preschool department so that it can be a secure place and they can kind of keep track of everybody. It's a great place back there. If, you, if you'd like a place to serve, back there is a great place to park, to, to hang out for a while and hang out with kids. Jason, you would attest to that. It's a great place to be. So she wasn't going to make it this morning, so she sent this, this email. Well, she warned us in a text that she wasn't coming. I'm going to send this form. And so Wayne got it. I got it. By the time I got here, things were already printed back there, but I had printed like two copies of it at home before I ever got out. But the thing that had to happen before I could even print it was I had to restart the printer because for some reason those things aren't connecting on a regular basis. They're not talking. It's like they're not friends. And so we reset the, I reset the printer, got to print it. And when we reset our life or refresh our life, it allows us to, to turn it back and say, okay, God, help me to, to start new, fresh Help me to be energized by what motivates and energizes you. And so our job, part of it, is to refresh often, knowing that God is the God that brings life. Ezekiel chapter 37 is a picture of that. You may not be familiar with it, but essentially Ezekiel is is brought into this valley that's just full of dead bones. And what God says, he says, prophesy to those bones. He says, say something over them. and Watch what I do. He said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now, I probably would have freaked out seeing this. I would have looked at it and I probably would have run away if God hadn't been behind Ezekiel going, whoa, wait a minute, buddy. To stay there and watch. I'm not sure I could have handled it, but there was this rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy the breath, and prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they come to life. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they came to life, stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. I look at that and I go, God, if you would take that which is dead, that which seems to have no life at all, that you've given your life for them, but seems to have no life at all, would you breathe into us the energy so that we can do what you want us to do out in the community, into our marketplace where we are? Because we cannot do it on our own. We need the breath of God, the spirit of God, to move through us to be able to do that. We need the spirit of God, the breath of God, to be in us so that we see the community around us that is dead but chasing things, to see them like God sees them. See, if... If somebody doesn't share Christ with them, if they don't come to a realization that they need Christ and they respond to that invitation and that gift, then they will spend eternity in hell. That's the way it works. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory in there. This is either a heaven or hell issue, and the church is charged with taking the message of heaven and the message of grace, the message of mercy to the world around us, and without us, it doesn't get done. God is not going to write in the sky with a, with a plane that says, come to me. He's saying it through us as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation to go take the word regardless of the inequities that we see. So we guard our heart by staying surrendered to him daily, by saying, God, refresh us and motivate us by what motivates you. So the question is, how's your motivation? What drives you? Is it God's word that drives you? Is it the heart of God that drives you? And if not, I would ask that you would come to this altar and be refreshed this morning because God offers that. And there is no telling what God's going to do with a body of believers that are so sold out to him and refreshed by him on a daily basis. Because when we are, people come to know Christ because we're willing. And so guys, we're going to pray. And if you need to be refreshed this morning, I want to invite you to come to the front and kneel and pray here, you and God in conversation. If you don't know God, then I want to invite you to come to a relationship with him. We read, as Asaph did, he said, I looked at all that stuff around me, and I looked at all the things they could get, but unless they have you, they have nothing. And so if you're in that place where you don't have that relationship with him, then I want to invite you to come to know him as Savior this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the challenge. As we look around us, we see all the stuff. We have a hard time figuring out what to do with it and it can hurt our hearts. And so God, I pray that today, tomorrow, that you would refresh us and continue to refresh us. Continue to remind us of your presence, that we may be obedient and see the world around us as those that need that relationship with Christ and to be part of an eternal family. And so, God, work in us that we would be effective. And even this morning, work in those that may not have a relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.